Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the PlayStation Blogcast. You got Kristen and Tim here. Hey. And we are uh, we are at Blogcast episode 349 now. Yeah, we got a two-man crew today. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Kristen and I and then, um, you know, Justin and Sid returning in the future. Uh, or will they? Or will they? High intrigue on this episode. We, we are recording on Halloween, so who's to say? It is so what spooky. spooky things could befall them <laughs> until that, we next hear it. No, that is that, true. I'm sure they'll be back. You're wearing a very festive orange Halloween oh, shirt. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing orange and black. You know, got to represent. We weirdly, like, PlayStation as a company weirdly celebrates Halloween the day before. I think it's because, like, the day of, they want, like, folks who have kids yeah. to be able to leave early. So we, we encourage everybody to dress up the day before. And I was the only one on our team who came dressed up so for shame everybody else yeah, but good on uh, you for for carrying through yeah, that spooky yeah, spirit yeah um <laughs> so that's awesome uh it'll probably be a little bit of a shorter show here but um we do have some things for you to look forward to we uh had a chance we've we've kind of teed this up previously but we got a chance to interview the developers from obsidian of uh the outer worlds yeah so now that folks have been able to kind of dive into the game a little bit more um you can listen to uh kind of a narrative focused chat with uh, obsidian devs um and we'll certainly talk about our time with outer worlds a little yeah. bit later on um but just to kick things right off um let's take a look at those new release highlights um coming up next week Kristen, you want to kick this off yeah, uh, so I'll, I'll start with uh, Tuesday, November 5th. So again, these are actually, all of these games are for the week of Tuesday, November 5th, November 5th uh, North America only, somebody to change without notice. Uh, but starting out on Tuesday, so we have two uh, two like music-focused games. Well, I guess oh. one's more dance and one's more just straight music. But you still have to feel the rhythm. But yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll grab both of these. So Just Dance 2020 is coming to PS4 as a digital and retail release. Uh I love the Just Dance games. Like, they're a really solid, like, just if you have friends over or just like, hey, do you guys want to just, you want to just dance? Uh, and <laughs> True to the name. You just put it on and, like, you always kind of feel silly at first, but then you just get super into it. Uh, so I'm a big fan of this. Plus, I was just looking at the official song list on uh, Ubisoft's website. There are not one, not two, but three K-pop songs on this list. Wow. So clearly I have to buy this game. All those letters you wrote in really paid off, I it guess. It really did. I was like, please, Ubisoft, put BTS, and they did it. So uh, <laughs> purely because of me, you're welcome. Uh, Everyone thanks you. Subject should change without notice. <laughs> uh, the other game is Autica, which is coming to PSVR as a digital release. Now, this is like a, a rhythm shooter game. It's like as the the music, the, the, I'm not quite sure like what's coming at you. Like different things are coming at you and you have to use the motion controllers to shoot at them. And as you hit them, it's like to a set rhythm as they're being shot at you. Mm. And so this like, it's from uh, the team at Harmonix. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be phenomenal noises in your ears. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good combo if you're down to play some music and uh, dance and and shoot around. Yeah, renowned music video game developers. So yeah. uh, you're gonna get your fill. Um, and then later that week, Friday, uh, November eighth, um, we got Need for Speed Heat, which is mm-hmm. gonna be hitting. Um, which we got a chance to check out on PlayStation Underground. Yeah, I think by the time this podcast mm-hmm. episode's out, the Underground will also be out. So yeah. head over to uh, YouTube.com/slash PlayStation, and which I think we also hosted that one. Yeah, this is like a triple Kristen Tim Day. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's uh, just us. We did the Obsidian interview and the Underground. Across the board. I hope you like us because here we are. It's just us. <laughs> um, and so that was fun. We got to check out like the sort of like day and night mechanics of, you know, um, gaining your sort of like heat during the day and then at night you sort of like it's a risk reward of trying to, you know, gather as, as much heat while banking your sort of I was gonna say I think it, it's like during the day it's like the the legal street racing yeah. it's like you join uh 
you know, legal, I don't know what the word is. Is it competitions? Is it like, I don't know. I don't know know sports words, street races. Uh, But you you join the legal ones and you you earn rewards and money. And then at night, it's like, now the cops are after me and we're Mm. doing the illegal, you know, drifting and mm-hmm. busting through billboards and you know just trying to get away and th- so that builds up your heat meter i believe so it's like if the cops catch up to you they can take all of your rewards away from that day or like a majority of your rewards yeah uh yeah, but if careful. you the more you get following you the higher your like heat rating goes up because more people are tailing you yeah for, for doing that dastardly street race be careful it sounds like basically every evening for me getting home <laughs> from work i'm it'll be familiar my nice and nostalgic insane yeah uh and then uh a little title just a small one little little one just a little itty little bb just, uh, just a little indie game just a little yeah <laughs> this is death stranding uh is hitting playstation 4 uh so deeply excited oh my god i just game. like i can't believe it's finally here like after all of this build up and the mystery yep. and that you know that new trailer just came out the final launch trailer that was so cinematic uh i'm i'm just very excited for this to finally be out i'm so curious what yeah. people think about it and then uh, those developing sort of like you know coming to the office and sharing our experiences of like well i did this and and where are you at and 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 dividing tips because it's this yeah. beautiful thing of both sort of like trying to unravel the mystery mm-hmm. and like share gameplay tips and just the fact that there's a new Hideo Kojima game that you're going to be able to sit down in front of and play. Yeah. And like just before the holidays too, because that's the thing, like sometimes you just need one of those like slow burn games, you know, that you're, you got a couple other things on the side, but you just want to keep like whittling away at that one thing that just feels good. It's like an anchor for your game. I was going to say, I have a feeling Death Stranding is going to be that kind of game for me. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Uh, so excited. Uh, more, more to come uh, from us on that, I'm more sure. More sweet, sweet BBs. That's right. Um, so moving right along to uh, this is this section is all about news that if you chose to, you could use it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, that's, that's so useful. Yeah. I mean, if only I were to choose to do it. If you want to. it's. <laughs> I'm not going to really, I don't want to project any of my <laughs> own sort of preferences. So, um, but what I will sort of project into the world is that Earth Knight is coming to PlayStation <laughs> 4 it. on December uh, 3rd. And this is a really cool game. Um, it's a sort of an auto runner mm-hmm. um, inspired by, you know, classic arcade games, you know, classic uh, uh, side scrollers. Um, and it has a really striking art style, like, you know, running on the back of like an undulating, you know, dragon thing. Oh um, really looks like some precise platforming in there. And then um, there's even like it shakes it up with like sort of like these these sky skydiving moments where you can sort of thread the needle um, through obstacles as you're just sort of falling down. But really cool vibe. Uh, so if nice. you like challenging side scrollers, check out Earth Knight. Um, and there's a blog uh, up on PS Blog that you can check out from the developers talking about everything that went into that. Nice. Uh, let's see. Also coming up is uh, Disney classic games Aladdin and The Lion King are out, I believe now, uh, on PS4. Ooh. Isn't that crazy? It's, like the fact that they yeah. were even like that they took these games like the I think Aladdin came out in 93 I want to say mm. on the Sega Genesis I was a wee babe I was literally one uh so my early one of my earliest memories of gaming 
uh, is we had a Sega Genesis and I remember my brother had the Aladdin game. So like, I don't really remember myself playing it, but I remember it and, and being on my brother's like tiny little and <laughs> square the, TV in his bedroom. On the Kristen's tiny timeline, this is you silhouetted and, <laughs> and little. Yeah. Uh, and then flash forward to when you're bigger. It's like the, is that the Hukuna, Hukuna Matana? Uh, oh my scene? God. It's <laughs> yeah. you, but it's you. And it's me. I'm a full lion now. Yes, you are. And now I can play and, the Lion King on PS4. <laughs> and wishing everyone best of luck with the waterfall sequence oh um gosh. the uh elephant graveyard is that what it's called yeah i, I think so, so. Yeah. there's the game is tough those yeah. games beautifully I, say, I never played lion king but aladdin brings back the memories for me yeah so but now i can play both on yeah PS4. that's true yeah uh, choose what you like um a couple classics bona fide classics uh so Another one that we got, uh, Justin got a chance to play through the entirety of the uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare campaign. Yeah. He's played a lot of multiplayer, but that campaign really resonated with him in, a, in an interesting way. Like, he wrote up his impressions on the blog, and uh, Justin does a great job of describing, like, how, the, you know, Infinity Ward has been making incredible Call of Duty games for a long time, and yet they continue to sort of, like, balance this this art of creating something that's thrilling, but also like thought provoking and kind of make you like a little uncomfortable sometimes. But, um, you know, I've, I've, for example, I've just started playing the beginning of it as well. And everything that Justin has, has mentioned really resonates and it's a spoiler free one. So if you haven't dived into the game yet, you know, feel free to still read it. Yeah. yeah, He talks about his feelings and sort of what, what it evoked from him. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) He talks about his feelings. Justin really opens up finally. (laughs) Um, But I've, I've only played the first couple chapters of the game and I'm like already like it's, it does this great, it's a really striking thing where they, they'll, the game hits you with this really like, oh my gosh, is this really what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like this looks, this is like sort of um, just a really shocking moment. And then suddenly you're in the driver's seat and, and you need to sort of like follow the chaos as it unfolds. And I'm being vague too, because I think it's worth going in as fresh as you can. Yeah. Um, no, but my uh, my husband's been playing it as well. He loves Call of Duty. He He's played... Pretty almost every single game in the entire franchise. Oh, really? Uh, and this game in particular, he is like, this is a COD game. Like, yeah. this makes him feel so nostalgic mm-hmm. for the original Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2. Uh, he said, like, this has been his favorite release in a very long time for COD games. So I'm, I'm very excited for COD fans because it seems like it's really hit the mark in a lot of ways. I can't wait to play more. Yeah. Um, speaking of games that my husband likes, um, I'm yeah, just yeah. like thinking of a segue. <laughs> uh, PS Plus November lineup, you guys, Neo and Outlast 2 are the games. Uh, just as a heads up, you know, these are free PS Plus games that require an internet connection and an active PS Plus membership to play. But just a small disclaimer. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I always wanted to give Neo a shot, especially with, with Neo 2 being on the horizon here. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of like those sort of like, I guess you can call them like sort of Souls-like uh, action, just really demanding skill-based yeah. action games. Um, and a sucker for that aesthetic that's sort of like... I was going to say, this, the setting and the aesthetic and like just like the character designs are really, yeah. really cool in Neo. It's a very... It's a challenging game, but it's really fun. Yeah. Um, and then Outlast 2. I never played Outlast 2, but I really want to play it now. Yeah. Like, I uh, I just never got around to it, but all of our conversations around horror games over the past couple yeah. of weeks uh, have made me want to play the Outlast games. So this is the perfect time yeah. to, to dive in. I th- Outlast 2 is the one with like the cult, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you're somewhere in the swamps of the South. And unlike Outlast 1 where you're, you know, Know, stuck in a uh, in a hospital and it's very very you know dark and claustrophobic. claustrophobic. I think 
Outlast 2, from from what I've seen of it, is just it's slightly more open, but it's kind of creating that claustrophobic, no escape vibe, but you're outdoors more, hmm. um, which is an interesting technique to to pull off. But uh, and also just a good time. I'm still going to be in the mood for spookiness. Um, following spooky season is every Halloween. season. Yeah, time. that's correct. <laughs> Um, so another one, uh, another great article that, uh, Justin has on the blog now is a Shenmue 3 interview with, uh, series creator Yu Suzuki. Um, and so it was just sort of a, a back and forth with, uh, with the creator as we're, you know, sort of with Shenmue 3, um, on our minds. And it, he talks about like, Justin asked these great questions like, you know, what was, what do you feel like Shenmue as a series, mm-hmm. you know, brought into the game industry and he kind of talks about how these was really early days for open world and that sort of style of gameplay where it's just a sandbox you can go around yeah. and do you like to gamble or do you like to you know um just talk around talk with citizens or drive a forklift <laughs> uh it goes into that stuff um and then also the feeling that um suzuki wants players to feel like they're coming home from an adventure um it goes on there's some interesting t- uh, stories about his time at sega and mm-hmm. how he was interviewing for a different job at the same time at a different huh. company so the yu suzuki we know may have not come to be uh seriously gotten that other job so it's not crazy when you hear stories like that yeah. that it's like oh yeah and then i almost quit or i almost like didn't take the thing and right. then like this like amazing creator could have potentially never done the thing that made them so big it's always yeah it's always jarring in a way where you can if you can like boil things down to like one moment in your life where it's just yeah. like and then i emailed like for for me, for example, like I I don't know. It's just like I, I never take it for granted. Where it's just like I mailed a bunch of people. I mean, emailed like the entire staff at Game Informer and like trying to figure out how do I get a job here. And like one person responded yeah. to that, and I'm like, I could so I can trace this all back to like one person. Isn't that crazy? It's really wild, man. I had like a it wasn't for for this job, but I remember when I moved out here, I didn't know anybody in San Francisco at all. Like we moved out here blind. Uh, and I just like emailed everybody I knew and I was like, please, does anybody know like good PR jobs or like social yeah. jobs? Like I'm trying, I'm moving out there. And it was like an old internship I had, like an old boss of mine. She was like, yeah, like I just have a friend. I, we're not working together. Like you have no work connection. I just have this like friend that works out there. And she like was the nicest person ever and was like, welcome to San Francisco. I'm going to help you look for jobs. Even though like she didn't know me at all. We worked in totally different industries. I don't know. People, so, people are so kind. It's the best. Yeah. Reach um, out to your friends, y'all. You never know who they might know. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, learn more about you, Suzuki and yeah. three. <laughs> PlayStation Three. <laughs> we'll wrap it back in. Um, I want to talk we, about my feelings. We like said it Justin. would be the Tim and Kristen show and here we are. Here we are pivoting yeah. it truly into the Tim and Kristen show. Um, and in case you want a little break from us on this version of us, you can now listen to a different version, a different of, version us of us recorded from, a while back from the slight past. So this is a chat that we recorded with the, um, the Obsidian developers. We had a co-game director, uh, Leonard Boyarsky and narrative designer Natai Padar um, and had them on just to chat generally pretty spoiler free uh, we get yeah the story we, we little... tried to keep it spoiler free because yeah. we recorded a wee bit before the game would come out exactly and so uh, it was fun just sort of uh, you know Natai specifically was was really fun too like they're both one comes with this crazy like just backstory of yeah, the industry his, like legacy in this genre yeah. and like within just like you know previous fallout games and things like that yeah. and then uh natai is new to the industry yeah uh so having those different perspectives was really interesting so. it was really awesome so um yeah stay tuned for that outer worlds uh d- development interview listen in
right. So you got Tim and Kristen here, and we're really pleased to be joined by two of the developers from Obsidian. So we have Leonard Boyarski, who's code game director on The Outer Worlds, as well as Natai Pudar, who's narrative designer on Outer Worlds. Thank you for joining us, guys. Hey guys, welcome. Hey, thank you for having us. Yeah, so, you know, Kristen and I have both actually been digging into yeah, the game. diving into the world. It is so fun, you guys. It has been so It's fantastic. just, it's, it's beautiful, it's colorful, it's something that I haven't seen in quite some time, and so it, in some ways it feels so familiar, but all brand new. Yeah. And I'm really, really loving it so far. So we are thrilled to, to be able to have you on, on the podcast here, but, you know, before we dive into Outer Worlds, I was hoping just kind of quickly, you know, what kind of led you guys to the Outer Worlds as a project? Like, what we're, uh, what's your path through the industry? Go ahead. And sure, I'll start with mine. It's a short path. This is my first game that I worked on. Oh, uh, awesome. It's, it's tough breaking into the industry as a narrative designer, and I was trying for a while, but uh, I think a combination of a, a strong portfolio and like a writing sample that kind of spoke to what The Outer Worlds was about mm. uh, got my foot in the door. Um, I've been working on this project more, not quite day one, but close enough okay. Okay. to see the entire arc of sort here's of how it started together. off in, in, in concept form. Here's how it developed when we were marching slowly towards alpha and now mm. uh, close to release. And the way that feels, it's it's been uh, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, what nice. an awesome first project. Oh, yeah, That's absolutely. <laughs> it's really hard to believe that this is Natalia's first project. He's just been fantastic and forget that he hasn't been working that long <laughs> in the industry. That's great. Very praise. cool. Um, How about you, Leonard? Mine's a little bit longer. <laughs> I started back in 1992 um, at a place called Buena Vista Software, which is one of Disney's first forays. Might have been the very first foray into trying to do video games. Mm-hmm. Um, it was supposed to be something not quite Disney. It was, you know, Touchstone kind of some some different thing, which they quickly decided they didn't want to do anymore. So the game <laughs> I made, their unnatural selection, was eventually published by Maxis. And from there, I went to Interplay, where I worked on Stonekeep as an artist. And then I fortunately was put on to, um, I almost said The Outer Worlds. <laughs> I was fortunately Just put on, zip forward. Yeah, I put front. on to Fallout. Um, and I quickly became the art director by virtue of me saying that I was the art director. And <laughs> I, like, I, I like how that works, yeah. Yeah, just... well, Tim was great. Tim, was, Tim wasn't even the game director at the point. He was, at that point, he was just the lead programmer. But the producer's like, you guys don't need a producer. And so Tim <laughs> became the game director. And he's like, I don't know anything about art. So you should just take all, over all that stuff. I this is Tim it. Kane? Yeah, Tim Kane. Cool. And so that was the first time I worked with him. And then after Fallout, uh, we designed basic the basic story arc for Fallout 2. And a lot of the things we wanted to see happen in the design front. Um, and then we left and started Troika Games together with Jason Anderson, another, another one of the main people on the original Fallout. Uh, we did Arcanum, Temple of Elemental Evil, and Vampire Bloodlines there. And then after that, I took a year off because I was completely burned out. <laughs> and then I went to Blizzard and worked on Diablo 3 and Reaper of Souls. Awesome. And then after that, uh, right around, uh, no, we actually, Reaper had been out for quite a while at that point. Uh, Obsidian wanted to make a new IP, and they wanted Tim to do it. And Tim said, you know, I could do the stuff that I do, but I really need Leonard to come over and work on the mm. art and story stuff. So... Um, you know, I really just wanted to make another IP with Tim. That was making IPs from scratch is something that that uh, it just turns out me and Tim had a really great um, time doing. Yeah. And people seem to like it when we do. So, <laughs> yeah. And that, that actually leads, I think, into like a great first sort of topic to dive into is is what was sort of where did the first sort of seedling for the outer worlds come from? And and that concept for a new IP, this sort of like a dystopian future, uh, sci-fi future that's, you know, corporate ran. Um, where did this all come from? 
the owners at Obsidian uh, wanted a space sci-fi game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they wanted a space sci-fi game that felt like a Tim and Leonard game, basically. And so they hired, they got Tim. Tim was already working there just as a, as mm-hmm. a programmer. And they convinced him to do it. They, you know, the way they convinced him was they said they'd hire me, I think. And, um, which is kind of flattering, I guess. Yeah. Um, but so me and Tim is just like old times, you know, we just sat in a room literally and Tim had all these ideas about how he wanted to approach, uh, the corporations, very kind of Futurama esque. Mm. Um, and he was really, and this is, you'll hear this theme <laughs> throughout, like he gets very much into the, the silliness and that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. And I'm much more into the dark humor and the yeah. dark side of it. Um, and that's what we call our special sauce. I was going to say, we, this game definitely has a mix of that. Yeah, <laughs> when we mix those two things together, to, to us, that's kind of like people have been asking us about, like, why does it feel so much like Fallout? Were you guys trying to make a Fallout game? I'm like, no. When me and Tim, you know, those two um, those two flavors get mixed, it really feels like that because that's our that's our personalities. So he started in on this the the funny part of the corporations and i started in on the like well you know if these corporations were really Darker running edge. things <laughs> and that's where i start bringing in all the 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 social stuff and because i because when we're writing this stuff as mm-hmm. as narrative people um we start with characters as real human beings even though this the situation can be completely absurd and hopefully it is completely absurd because <laughs> that makes it more fun um it just works much better if they feel like well-rounded characters and they're feel like at least semi-real yeah. human beings. The characters how they aren't going to think it's absurd. We think it's yeah. absurd, but yeah. the characters are like, this is just the world I've been living Which in. Which is one of the reasons we wanted the, the player character to come from outside mm-hmm. so the player character could mirror the player going like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. What's going on here? And everybody else is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. This that's is kind of been normal. That's kind of been our formula. It's like, how do we define? Like when I got on the project, they were like, okay, our humor is dark absurdist. And the style, like the pitch they gave me was, um, it's Firefly meets Fallout, and for for a second there, I'm like, how do you how do you even do that? That feels like two completely different IPs. Yeah. But when you think about it, the elements are all there. Um, Firefly has a great sense of humor. Fallout has a great sense of humor. They both have kind of a dark edge to it. Mm. Um, it's working on this project. I think the challenge has been uh, finding a way to mix the Simpsons esque, Futurama esque humor that Tim Kaine l- tends to love, but also creating a believable, absurdist, dystopian society that's completely corporate-run and yet make it fun. Um, A lot of the absurdity comes from exactly as you said. It is a setting where pretty much all the characters play the absurdity completely straight. (laughs) And it's the player character and through the player character, the player themselves who are like, what is going on? Why are you people okay with eating salt tuna all day, every day? (laughs) Because... Spacer's choice has mandated it somehow. Yeah, I love. I love that. Speaking of like the humor of the game, I love that when you're being introduced to uh, the character of Adelaide. I think they say that she's a flavorist and she <laughs> makes the food taste decent, not good or delicious or anything. Just like just yeah. decent. I also love how many characters like just parrot Spacer's choice like slogans at you and like I forget which I want to say it's a bartender at one point. Mm-hmm. She's just like, oh god, what is it again? Like uh, I, yeah. I need I need <laughs> to practice it real quick. <laughs> Amelia Kim, yeah, she is the uh, burnt-out millennial who is now working as a bartender. She's like, oh, God, I forgot. I'm contractually obligated to tell you the Spacious Choice slogan. It's so good, though. But, like, that leads to another point is that humor is just, I mean, in my opinion, like, the hardest thing you could try to do is try to make someone laugh through these words and, and performances. And, like, how do you sort of, 
refine the humor and and make it authentic and like how much do you you know throw out and be like that's you know have to kill darlings and stuff or how much does it just come naturally you know especially Leonard you said you have the history with Tim like what what kind of goes into creating that that humor um well for me and Tim when we were creating the setting a lot of the basic humor comes fairly naturally to us because we just try to make each other laugh and our distinct senses of humor so I'll try to pitch silly stuff to Tim and he'll pitch dark stuff to me and vice versa um, or he'll say something really silly, and I'm like, nah, that's too silly. And I'll say something <laughs> really dark. He's like, yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> and um, so that mixture there works really well. And then with the writers, you know, who hadn't worked with us before, it was just a process of kind of they'd pitch stuff, and we'd kind of work with them to refine what it was. One of the things I said early on was I was bringing up things like early Kurt Vonnegut. Mm. And um, I said, okay, imagine if the Coen brothers and Wes Anderson got together and made a sci-fi space dystopia game. Um, just weird things like that to kind of really have people thinking it, about it from a kind of bizarre standpoint because yeah. we really wanted to push the absurdity. We didn't want to push jokes for joke's sake. Yeah. It was all based around character and the situation. We didn't want NPCs to feel like they were, um, you know, just signposts on your way to the next yeah. ob- objective in your quest. Yeah. Um, how did that feel, Natai, being thrown into that uh, deep end of the swimming pool I think, it was, I think it was actually kind of fun because we, we went about it in two ways. Uh in order to locate the humor, and I think it's very true that what is funny for one person is not going to be funny for something else, and we have to discover what it is that's funny about the outer worlds, um, because there's a lot we could put in there that would be funny, but wouldn't necessarily fit with a game. Right. So we went about it in two directions. The first direction was completely organic. We had a, a couple of writers in a room. We started out with like two or three. And we just worked through things. And as we shared our ideas and put together little bits of dialogue, if it made us laugh, that was probably a good sign Mm -hmm. um, because that is an indication that there's something funny about it and we want to keep it. But we also did actually prototype our humor. There was a point in our development where uh, we were leading up to the vertical slice, which is let's just do a level of the game and try to make it as polished as we can. And for writers, that period of development was experimenting with humor. Mm. Um, we tried multiple characters, each of which had a slightly different angle. They, they all represented a slightly different attitude toward humor. Mm-hmm. And it was our way of saying, okay, here are five different ways we can write humor in our game. They're all dark. They're all funny. Let's find the thread that kind of resonates with all of us so that we can locate it so that in the future, as we write more content, we have this thing that we've already done, which we can reference. Oh. That's really the hardest part, is is kind of centering collectively where the writing sits, where the humor sits. Because once you do that, it becomes easy to riff off of that. So there's like this one vertical slice with like five different sort of humor style takes to yes. it so that you were able to just prototype and Yes, and absolutely. Refine. Okay, yes. interesting. So I mean, beyond the humor, one of, one of my favorite things about RPGs and especially like classic RPGs like this is the heavy dialogue. You have so many different options and especially in a game like this, you can you can go in so many different directions. Like, <clears throat> pardon me, your attitude can completely shift based on the person that you're talking to. You're given a bunch of different dialogue options. How do you guys go about writing out those options to make sure that the player doesn't end up leaning towards, you know, like some, some games, sometimes they give like a very clear cut, like this is the good response. This is the bad response, but I, it's more of a gray, gray area with your guys' dialogue, which I really, really love. So how do you guys go about making sure that those dialogue options are are tight like that? Again, we really try to think of it from a character standpoint. Mm. Um, If I'm a player, 
what kind of things would I want to say here? Mm. Um, which is kind of the opposite, I think, of a way a lot of people design games like this. They're, they have a very distinct vision about what they want to happen and kind of like the direction they want to drive the player in. Right. And our question is always, what will the player want to do here? Um, no matter what we want to have happen, how are we going to, you know, really support all the different play styles we want the players to be able to do? Mm-hmm. Um, we always say this is a player-driven story as opposed to the story driving the game or the story with a lot of choices. It's like, no, it's, it's all based around the player. So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is really, it, it gets fairly complex. I'll let Natai talk about some of the nuts and bolts of it because not only do we have to do all that, yeah. we have to you know give you the information you need. We have to build character. We also want a path that it's fairly obvious. Like, okay, if I just want to get through this dialogue quickly, here are the ones I need right. to pick. And plus I, I put this, we break it in a couple of places, but one of the rules I had was like a maximum of five uh, responses. Okay. Because we didn't want like twenty responses and mm. just you know just just it's feels an endless dialogue loop, yeah, and yeah. So um, you know, a couple places where we just kept, you know, you write this whole thing out, you've played it, you're like, oh, what if they do this? And okay, you start packing things in there. It's a little, you go beyond that a little bit, but how was uh, how um, was the actual process? So for me, since it was my first project, I what you just asked uh, the question of uh, how do you how do you write player choices in a way that gives players the opportunity to role play pretty much however they want you know Mm -hmm. within reason that's very much obsidian's pedigree i mean they've been doing that since tyranny pillars of eternity uh, fallout new vegas so even though i was new to this the other writers on the team were not and i was very fortunate to work with a very talented uh, team of narrative designers who have been doing this for a while so i did kind of pick up on their guidance i think they have a natural understanding of how a good set of player responses should feel. Got so it. so there was a lot of feedback in case I was missing, like, oh, there's the jerk option is obviously missing <laughs> here. Or I can't be nice to this character, and I really want to be nice mm. to this character. Mm. But there is also a process of just aggressively structuring conversations in such a way that they don't just completely explode with options. Uh, there's like a vetting process. Structure. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem structured when you play it. Yeah. But the process of getting it from concept to post beta is every st- conversation has to have a pretty rigid skeleton. Uh, there has to be a quick and easy way to get from point A, which is you're talking to the NPC, to point B, which is whatever the NPC wants to give you. You have to cover all the possible states the NPC could be in. Mm. If anybody that the NPC NPC is referencing is dead. You need to be aware of that. Um, You may have completed the quest or found the thing that the NPC wanted you you to get before you talk to them. And you have to account for that. I'm just like, well, you don't mention. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So like if you do enough of these, you kind of develop an instinct for, okay, here's what a complete dialogue needs to check for. It's almost like a checklist. Mm. So again, it's this process of on the one hand, you have to be very organic because this is kind of the way Obsidian writes. We just, we get player choice. We've been doing it for a while. On the other hand, we're pretty structured about this. There's a vetting process. There is a, a, a testing process. It goes through uh, lots of pairs of eyes, uh, go through the conversation and give feedback. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that uh, such a structure would develop after so many years making these kinds of games. Because if it, if that didn't, if there wasn't that structure, my mind reels trying to comprehend the flowchart and all the ways that oh my god, these, I know all the variables that can influence any given conversation, what's possible. <clears throat> but one thing that's on my mind, and 
like Kristen, we've been talking about how nostalgic this has felt in some ways. Yes. Like it's really fresh, but there's something almost like a comfort, like a comfortable blanket. The way that this game an, feels like coming home. I'm yeah, just like, yeah. yes, I've missed like this kind of game. Absolutely. And there's one key thing that I I realized. I mean, last night as I was playing that, you Is know, it the dialogue like clicking into yeah, conversation. Yeah, it's yes. when the camera will pan over. Like, let's say you you got caught stealing something, or you know, you just triggered something that made an NPC sort of lock in, and then it's just sort of dead center on that character's face, and they're looking at you and emoting the way that they do, like. How much of this, I'm curious, is sort of an intentional style choice that sort of represents the kinds of games that Obsidian has made versus like, you know, this is sort of just, this is the tech. This is how we know how to make these games. This is what we're comfortable making. Like, is there, how do you, how does that sort of fit into the way that you interact with NPCs? Uh, I think it's actually it's both those things. I think we really wanted to kind of evoke that feeling. Yeah. We just love that style. Um, we did try some other camera angles and, you know, it'd be great to have had time to kind of like delve into that a little bit more. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just, you know, we had a, a, a fairly short development cycle for a game of this type and, yeah. and, a, and, a, and a smaller budget than you would think. And so we just had to really focus on what was important. And the, at the end of the day, we really wanted to feel like that Obsidian RPG. Yeah. We really wanted people to kind of hook into that nostalgia that like... Um, I mean, we're RPG evangelists. We feel like people should still be making these games. Yeah. It feels like people are moving away from making this style of game. So, yeah, I, I know. Right, but right before we started recording, we were sort of talking about uh, that this game just feels like it feels nostalgic, but at the same time, like I'm so happy that it's coming out at this time because I feel like there has been a bit of a gap for this style of RPG mm-hmm. for a couple yeah. of years, and mm-hmm. it's something that I've missed because this is actually like my favorite genre yeah. of gaming. There's so, something too. Yeah. There's something very cozy, I, I yeah. think, about just having a a dialogue screen with options which you can slow down and read through, and some of them are funny and some of them are cool, and you're just kind of taking your time. It feels familiar. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that it feels familiar in a good way because a lot of our roots, not just for this game, but mm-hmm. as Obsidian, is in like the tabletop experience, yeah. which is in and of itself kind of a cozy experience where you're sitting down, there's a DM who is curating your experience, who's like giving you the opportunity to role play. The game exists to serve you and your imagination mm-hmm. and the character you want to play. We don't want the player to feel like they are just the accessory to a very cool story that the developers have bestowed upon them. Like, that's not that's not our philosophy at all. Um, to that end, uh, it, it kind of permeates every little thing we do. Um, I've always been a believer that storytelling is not just limited to narrative and narrative is not just limited to writing. The experience you have in a game encompasses everything. It's the way combat feels. It's the way the art looks. It's the way the UI feels. It's even the fun you have navigating a conversation screen. It's all part of the storytelling experience. Absolutely. Yeah, that comes through. I guess, you know, to, to leave you with one question, um, uh, the other thing I just wanted to ask about is is this game, as opposed to some other Obsidian RPGs, I feel like there's a real diverse set of different areas up front and that you're kind of like, um, you know, traveling from, you know, Terra to um, like the, you know, Groundbreaker and like all these different uh, areas, um, you know, not, not quite as like, let's say, sprawling is one huge map. But I'm just curious, what were the sort of challenges and, um, you know, exciting opportunities that came from creating a, a diverse set of smaller areas rather than just like one huge map? What did that sort of, what did you have to change your approach with and as far as developers go and, and what have you? Um, 
Yeah, me and Natai probably aren't the person to, people to ask that question <laughs> okay. to because I didn't work at Obsidian before this, and yeah, that's did the, good point. However, um, I think the opportunity there, you know, it's kind of built into the DNA of what we wanted to do with the game. You mm-hmm. know, if you're a space hero, <laughs> you got to fly around in yeah. your spaceship <laughs> to different places. You can't quite avoid that. So that necessitated us going with smaller maps. Um, it gave us the opportunity to have different, totally different looking places. You know, there's there's an asteroid you could go to. There's the space station. There's Terra 2. But there's mm-hmm. also places like Byzantium within Terra 2, uh, Monarch. There's all these. So there's all these different biomes you can go to. Um, to us, it was just fascinating because you can play with a lot of different tonal things. Um, I don't, it just it felt very, um, I don't know, it just felt very natural to us. Yeah. There, were, yeah. there really wasn't a lot of discussion about, you know, how are we going to do this differently from this other thing? It was just like, well, this is what our game is. Let's just start making yeah. it. Let's go down this road. I mean, the world building has been phenomenal. Like one of my favorite things has been on the loading screens, just seeing those like anatomical, like monster, yeah. the creature yeah. dissections and stuff. And I'm just like, someone took the time to mm-hmm. think about the anatomy. Yeah. Those are all our concept artists. Creatures. They're it's, all yeah. superheroes. It's amazing. Incredible it's phenomenal. And every time I, I run into one of the creatures that I'm like, I know what you are. Yep. <laughs> I've, I've seen that. Yeah, that was Daniel Alpert, our art director, um, came up with that idea of using all those for load screens because those are all things that were just art for posters or, you know, scenery objects in the game. But they completely make sense within the world. Yeah, and then, of course, the one thing that we're really happy about, I I wish we could have taken it even further, is just the the load screens that are basically board board propaganda about, like, what you've done. So if you're doing stuff that's, like, what we would consider the evil path or the not-quite-good path... (laughs) working for the board it's like this hero has done this fantastic thing or if you're doing the you know i'm working for the rebels kind of thing yeah it's like this evil you know for- say, stranger I, I, I is got, threatening yeah. our society yeah i got one that's like the terror of edgewater yeah, <laughs> yeah. So i love that I didn't, I didn't actually realize that those were being you know sort of tailored to my actions but mm-hmm. i'll pay even closer attention that's so uh, great yeah. very fun to read yeah. um but yeah so it's the game is out as of the time that folks are hearing this the game is out on playstation 4 you can nice. play outer worlds um Leonard and Natai, thank you so much for joining us for this chat. Thank you. It was great. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so thanks again to the developers yeah. from Obsidian. Uh, I, I can't wait to play more of that game. I was going to say, I that will definitely be in my What You Play In section a little bit later. But yeah. uh, before we dive back in, we got a listener letter from Nick. Uh, he writes in and says, For me, the end of Halloween brings about the beginning of my holiday gaming planning. Uh, I usually start a longer game that I can delve into and hopefully finish during the holiday session. For example, I did this last year with Witcher 3 and Skyrim the year before that. I think I'll talk or, tackle the Outer Worlds this year and hopefully dedicate most of my days off to that. From what I hear, it sounds like Mass Effect meets Firefly and well yes take all my money (laughs) Uh, what are y'all looking forward to playing during your breaks do you play multiple games or do you just deep dive into a new experience Um, I have actually been thinking about replaying The Witcher 3 I don't know why this has come out in me but I've just been like it is time maybe it's because like the Netflix show is coming or like I don't know but I'm just in the mood and I'm like ready for that game again so I've actually been thinking this winter break uh, of diving back into The Witcher 3 but that's a big dive I was gonna say it's a big boy Um, but you know as we were talking about earlier Death Stranding Mm -hmm. like I know that that's gonna be one that's gonna be like my long delve game yeah 
um outer worlds i'm i'm i think i'm getting to the end of a playthrough already oh, really? but i already want to do it again and and be like a much more evil character yeah this so, yeah. this may end up being like a natural hybrid of answering nick's question so thanks nick and then also what we're playing but yeah. like uh yeah i it's interesting i'm usually big on like compartmentalization when it comes down to like okay well i got this amount of time i can finish this game and i'm gonna focus on that and go mm-hmm. to this one but like more than this happens to me around this time of the year, I think, with like big release seasons, but I'm juggling like Outer Worlds. I haven't finished up Monster Hunter World Iceborne. I have not, you know, finished Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. I haven't finished Concrete Genie. Like, uh, there is just Borderlands 3 I'm still working there's on. There's a lot and then, going on. And then, yeah, there's Death Stranding around the corner. So I think what I really want to do is, like you were saying, like, I think I'm, I'm going to make Death Stranding sort of like this anchor game I'm coming back to. And then when I need to take a break, I'll, you know, try to whittle away at, you know, a Concrete Genie or at God, whittling away at something like Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds feels like it's a game that really demands attention. Yeah. Um. So that'd be a tough one to juggle, but I want to do it all. That's the thing with Outer Worlds. It's been addicting. Like I cannot put it down. Yeah. And I keep being like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to play this a couple nights and then I'm going to, you know, dive back into X, Y, you know, After Party just came out and I was like, oh, I'm the other oh, night yeah. I was like, I'm going to sit. I'm going to, I downloaded the game. I was ready to hit go. And then I was like, mm, that sweet Outer Worlds square right yep. next to After Party. What if I mm, just clicked that instead? Um, no, so I'll, I'll I'll probably keep playing. I'm the same way. I usually like I'm usually a one game gal. Mm-hmm. Like I I can only really focus on the one. Uh, but over this past year in particular, I think it's also probably just from working here. Yeah, uh, I've started to be like I gotta play more games. There's so many yeah, games. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so I've been trying to be better about having like a mainline game that it's like this is just sort of like the drum that's like steadily beating, and then I'm gonna whittle away at like this small thing or this small thing. That's a way um, to do it. Yeah. So those those are the ones that I'm probably most excited about. But then, like in my in the back of my head, I'm like, mm, Witcher three though. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing is like, uh, there is really a lot of fun in. And I feel like we've we've touched on this from time to time. There's a lot of fun in just sort of like having a breadth of experiences with games and just either sampling or finishing as many different types of games as you can. Yeah. But really, like, what has defined you as a player are the games that you played, like, over and yeah, over Yeah, that you return to. And that's the thing. Like, this, it's one of those games. I have a couple games that it's, like, I've been really wanting to replay Horizon. Uh, I only ever played it through the one time. Same, yeah. uh, and, you know, I did Frozen Wilds as well. I platinumed the whole game. But I've been, I don't know why, but lately I've been like, oh, it'd be nice to be Aloy again. Um, yeah. I know you replayed Tilu recently. Yeah. I know that was, like, the PS Plus game last month. So a lot of people re- were replaying that leading up to Tilu 2, um, or Last of Us Part 2. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I I I have an itch of like, what do I want to go back to? What's my fave that I, I want to revisit? So yeah. and so for the holidays this year, uh, Michael and I are going to Tahoe, and we rented like this cabin, and we have no plans. Like we were oh. like, we're gonna sit, we're gonna not be connected to anything, but we're bringing the PS4, yeah. we're bringing our cat. And we're hunkering down in the snow, and I'm so excited. That's the best. You actually, you have now infected me with <laughs> this com- this concept of like, I've been talking with my fiance about it too. Just like, gosh, well, you know, we're gonna have a busy travel year next year, seeing family a lot on the ramp up to the wedding. What if we just yeah stayed back and had <laughs> Dude, a staycation? Do it. And and like the main driving thing is like. I could play so many games. I know, because that's the thing. Every time, whenever we go home to Florida, we used to bring the PlayStation with us. Uh, and I, it would just, it would never happen. I would have, there's so many people to see. And they're like, every time I would have a free second, it'd be like, oh, but I got to go see like yeah. Aunt Jillian or go see grandma. I got to do this thing. Oh, uh, which, you know, dang it, grandma. <laughs> um, 
uh, I got to get my grandma in The Witcher 3, obviously. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, I would always just never really have the time to, to dive into what I wanted to do. And then by the time we got back, work just starts. And then it's like, well, there goes me platinuming Assassin's Creed yeah. Odyssey or whatever, you know, distant plan I had. Uh, so yeah, no, this year, so, you know, we got married at the beginning of the year. And so literally all year I've been like, that's it. I'm not seeing you guys at Christmas. This is like our holiday. Like it's, the, I feel like it's the first one we can get away with it. Cause I'm like using the newlywed angle to be like, it's our first Christmas together. Mm-hmm. We want to just spend it ourselves, <laughs> but okay. feel free to use that angle <laughs> pre-wedding Yeah, to be like, Oh, you guys are going to see us at the wedding. And, you know, it's yeah. going to be nonstop family fun. <laughs> I feel like that's a, like Nick's question is a good one. And if you have sort of, It'd be interesting to hear if anyone has any interesting ways that they approach sort of like tackling, like how organized and structured do you get with your gaming time? Like I've heard, I've heard people say that like, well, for every two hours of, you know, um, modern games I play, I go back and I play at least like a half hour to an hour of a classic and mm. they try to like juggle it that way. Yeah. Um, so if you have any sort of interesting approaches to managing your gaming time, specifically around the holidays, hit us up at blogcast at Sony.com. Yeah. Might be an interesting conversation. Um, so that's that'll be a fun one. And then on top of that, though, we still have, uh, you know, what you play in a tackle. Um, oh, my gosh. Justin, Justin's not here. He's been playing through the new Final Fantasy fourteen raid, the um, Nier Automata-themed um, one. He kind I was going to say, I hear, I hear it is good, I according good. to Justin. It yeah. is good. He regaled us with it, and he told us stuff that I won't repeat here. Yeah, we, we heard some very uh, juicy spoilers. For fans of Nier Automata, like, I think you're going to get your money's worth out of that. Um, and then he's been playing through the uh, the Destiny sort of Halloween-themed um, content. Um but yeah, Kristen, so how is, now that you're further into Outer Worlds, yeah. like how, how has it been going? Tell me Outer about Outer Worlds, baby. Yeah. I love this game. Like, I mean, I know, I know we mentioned it earlier in the interview, uh, but it's just pulled this like intense nostalgia out of me. Like every part of the game, I'm just like, this feels right. I feel home. Mm-hmm. Like this is the, this is the format that I enjoy. This is the humor that I enjoy. Like this game is wicked funny. Like every so other, funny. it's so, so insanely funny. Um, I, Michael's been playing as well so i've had the joy of, of seeing two different kinds of characters my character i bumped up the intelligence uh and uh i think it's person not personality uh persuasion perhaps maybe it is uh my charisma is bumped up so i'm like a you know smooth talking pretty smart gal nice uh he dumbed his character down so he's getting all the literally like dumb prompts that's amazing and it's been so funny to see different interactions that his character is just like huh <laughs> and they have to be like, okay, listen, here's, here's how leader? this works. Yeah. Yeah. Or there would have been like a situation where my character, you know, has a lot of skills in engineering and in medical related things. So like when plot points like that are popping up, I'm like, oh, of course, you know, plug in the blah, blah, blah. And like mm-hmm. hit the thingamajig. Uh, and I know exactly what to do. And their character is just like, oh, gee, Wilkers, <laughs> that's, that sounds bad. That yeah. sounds like a bad thing. I don't know. It's, it's been really funny. Um, the characters are just so well thought out. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're so well voiced. They're so well, uh, like the, the voice acting itself is really wonderful. Have you, have you recruited all the companions? At this I have, point? I have okay. all six of them. All right. Uh, they are fascinating to mix up. That's, that's been like my biggest, uh, I wish there was like a matrix of like, who, who should I pair together? Because every time we do a mission, I'm like, oh, this would be so funny if like Parvati was mixed with Felix here or like, oh, uh, you know, if if I bring Sam along, is he going to say something straight? You know, it's, it's been really funny. And then just having their interactions together when you're not 
you know, engaging with them even. Sometimes they pop into conversations with NPCs that you're having and they have really, really interesting reactions. Mm. Uh, but sometimes they're just talking amongst themselves and I'll actually stop and like wait to load into the new town that I'm going to or whatever settlement because I want to finish hearing like, oh, Parvati is saying something yeah. really interesting. I want to see what she has to say about that. So much detail. Um, yeah, so and, just and so much detail. More, more reasons to play through again because it's like, I mean, that's definitely something Obsidian has encouraged with this one but like just the idea like you know there's all those big decisions in Mm -hmm. in these types of games and so you have these really clear-cut things you could do one way or another but even as much as just swapping out your main party for one playthrough to an x you just exposed to different story and and character bits yeah and i will say for those for those plot points that are like the hard and fast like you gotta make a choice kid like you gotta like very clearly you're helping this faction or you're helping Mm -hmm. that faction or you're not helping either of them and you're screwing them both over or you're trying to help both of them uh it's hard because they are gray characters like there is no 100 good there is no 100 bad everybody in this world well and truly believes that they are like of the right mind and doing the right thing either for themselves or for their people or for society um it's really interesting like this is my favorite part of games like that like the world building and the lore i have i have to read every email i have to read every like scrap they're usually really funny or interesting they're so great they're either funny or interesting it reminds me of like only since like control is one of the best examples of a game where it's just like everything i'm reading here is interesting i'm happy i'm reading it and it's adding value yeah adding value is key it's it's not just burning time and i think outer worlds is a good example of that uh and that they're able to be consistently that funny uh (laughs) is really impressive it's so hard to do yeah so and there's just been the the monsters are really interesting in this game. Like I'm so curious how they decided. Like the Manta Queens are really tough. Uh, have you have you gone to Monarch yet? No, Monarch's my next stop. Okay. Like uh, so, I'm still a little early, but that's that's the next, okay. next place. So there there are these monsters called Manta Queens on the planet Monarch, and boy howdy, they are <laughs> very tough. Uh, but they're really really cool and just like the. I don't even know, like the zoology of this world, I suppose, like in the loading screens, it'll have like literally like anatomical maps yeah. uh, or not maps, drawings of of these different monsters. And it's, I just love stepping into a new world. It's been a while, you know, a lot of the role-playing games that I've been into, you know, your Fallout 4s, Dragon Age Inquisitions, mm-hmm. you know, it's an established world that it's like a new chapter and it's it's been really, really cool to start this RPG and have it be something completely new. And yeah. it's just like capitalist society it's totally like like right in that wheelhouse of obsidian where it's just like this is a cool world and has a lot of like fun things about it but it's just like just just goofy enough yeah it's like Um, absurdist it's just like the things that people say are ridiculous and then you'll try to say something to them and they're just like are you okay like that's crazy spicer's choice like (laughs) just ready to to hawk some marketing lingo down down your neck um but yeah, no, it's been it's been really fun. It's awesome. I, uh, I I look forward to playing more of it. I had a busy week with travel, so I haven't like been around my my battle station too much. But uh, so much so much to dive into. Um, and then you know I know there'll be still lots of games coming out um, through the end of the year. But I'm that we're almost past that crazy holiday cavalcade, yeah. and so we kind of can just kind of look at like oh here's. You know, it's like here's I did my whole sweep of the supermarket, and now here's all the stuff I got, and I gotta I gotta eat what's on my plate now, yeah. and and prioritize You're stocking that way. up for winter. Exactly. Yes. You know? <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Well, I feel like that about does it. Yeah, short um, and sweet. The Tim yeah, and Kristen show. Exactly. Um, with special guest Obsidian. And, um, you know, we'll have more of us uh, around next time, I'm sure. Um, but for now, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you have feedback, please hit us up at blogcast at sony.com. Um, you can find us at PlayStation Blog, uh, at PlayStation on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review if you like us. Um, if you enjoy the show, tell a friend. Um, if you don't have a friend, Get, just start telling people about cool podcasts and you'll have more friends. <laughs> that's how you'll make the friend. Yes. Trust uh, us. That's, yes, it works take, every time. Take it from us. Uh, thanks from Dormilone for the theme song. Uh, you can find more at dormilonemusic.com. Uh, thanks to Corey Schmitz for our logo, coreyschmitz.com. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. 